The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 28, Maddie's Part 1. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. We featured a lot of unique Austin establishments on this show already. Restaurants or bars that are housed in buildings that are historical landmarks, or perhaps built over historic properties. In this episode, we're contacted by a restaurant and wedding venue that I've never heard of before, a place called Maddie's at Green Pastures. And although this place has recently gone through some updates and renovations, this location's history is one of the most interesting we've come across. Even more intriguing was the reported activity on the premises, activity mostly believed to be linked to two young children. Phantom voices, laughter, touching, and more reputedly, Children's handprints forming on windows where no children are allowed. But above all this, the reports that had me most excited were two separate eyewitness accounts seeing full-bodied apparitions of children. The team and I will take on yet another hidden haunt, this one nestled in a quiet, eclectic Austin neighborhood, harboring a long-standing history and specters seemingly clinging to the past. Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order, so we highly recommend that you stop here and begin your journey with us on episode 1, Ink, Coffee, and Spirits. Back in July of 2019, on an evening home from work, I hopped onto Facebook and discovered a message in my inbox. It was from someone I didn't know, and it simply read, I was told to contact you. I work at Maddie's at Green Pastures in South Austin. We have four spirits currently living here. That was it. Then the messenger left me a phone number to contact them. First off, I usually don't pursue cases where someone has messaged me outside of our online submission form on our website, just because it's too hard to manage cases or stories if they're coming in from numerous places. But this succinct and blunt message had me curious. Who is this guy? What the heck is Maddie's at Green Pastures? And who told him to contact me? Curiosity got the best of me and I decided to reach out to the guy. But before I did, I wanted to look up Maddie's at Green Pastures to see what it was. It turns out it's an incredible looking restaurant, bar, and wedding venue located in Bolden Creek, my favorite neighborhood, and many Austinites as well, due to the fact that the zip code is pretty much the poster for this city's slogan, Keep Austin Weird. Bolden Creek is still one of Austin's most diverse and eclectic neighborhoods, full of quirky shops, iconic eateries, trendy cafes, tourist-attracting graffitied walls, towering oaks, and beautiful historic homes. I even once lived in this neighborhood. My memories of my time spent in Bolden Creek Apartments on West Mary Street are some of my fondest of my time living here in this city. I remember how convenient and peaceful the neighborhood was. I could just take a walk down the shady small streets, pop into quaint coffee shops or cafes for a small bite or coffee, Then go stroll the aisles of nearby local bookstores, record stores, or vintage shops. There was even an old video store that I visited almost daily. In a time like now, under this current state of the pandemic we're all facing, thinking back to this time and neighborhood stirs a strong sense of longing to visit Bolden Creek 
and do some of these mundane activities I once took for granted. But I'm going to, once this is all over. That's a fact. But I was still left wondering about this Maddie's at Green Pastures, how I'd never seen or heard of it. And oddly enough, when I pulled it up on Google Maps, I found that it was literally just a block from the cafe that I live by and walk to every week. I went to the website, and you can clearly see from the imagery there that this is a gorgeous restaurant and bar that's housed in a historic farmhouse sitting on an idyllic plot of land in Bolden Creek. The website itself even had a page dedicated to the history of this farmhouse and its previous owners, one of them being Maddie Falk, hence the name of the new restaurant. But nowhere on this site were there any clues to any haunted history or spooky happenings. All I had to go on was this very short message from a man by the name of Dustin on Facebook. I wasn't sure where this would lead me, but I picked up my phone and dialed Dustin's number. So I started at Maddie's Green Pastures um, about five, five to six months ago. And I was familiar with the property. I've worked for the company for a while. The building was completed in 1898. It was uh, the home of a family, a very prominent family here in Austin that were writers and activists. When all of the children were grown up, it was turned into a boarding house. And it was uh, the first establishment in Austin that allowed people of all color to kind of cohabitate, eat, work. It was very progressive for its time. And I've done a little bit of history on the house itself and know specifics on who lived there and which time periods. There's been a couple families that have lived there, but for the most part, it's the Falk family, F-A-U-L-K. Charles Falk is probably the biggest name in the story. The library downtown was named after him. But his mother, Martha, who went by Maddie, that's who the restaurant named after, she was kind of a caretaker of the place. So, of course, coming over there with the building's history, how old it is, you know, old houses have a lot of allure to them, and there's some sounds in night, you know. And, you know, coming into this, having experienced paranormal stuff before, you know, I'm like, well, we'll see. You know what I mean? Kind of, you know, going into it with that type of thing. So um, the first thing, you know, they tell you about when you start working there is the nursery which is now our private dining room. There's a phenomena of child's handprints on windows. Um, we don't really have that many children that frequent the place. And the location of where the, the handprints are based on size is strange to me because it doesn't look like a child that would possess this, this size of hand could reach to this, this particular point in the, of the window. So anyway, you hear about that first and foremost, and then nobody really cares to go up and down this staircase that we have. It's, it's a service stairwell that was from maids and butlers and stuff like that. It's a very narrow and very steep staircase, and a lot of people describe kind of a vertigo sensation going up and down that staircase. So anyway, I, I get in there, and of course, you know, just like, well, I'll believe it when I see it type of attitude. So I dated this girl for three years, and she got me into Game of Thrones, okay? I hate the show, but she got me into watching Game of Thrones. I would stay after hours and watch it uh, in the office. So anyway, like, I, I leave the office, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, run, I run outside to uh, use the restroom, and I see a adolescent girl at the top of the staircase. So she's wearing, like, a nightgown type thing, maybe 40s or 50s kind of lacy nightgown thing, probably about 12 to 14 years old, you know, and she's just standing there and I stop and I stare and she stands there for a second and just kind of beelines it going in another direction. And 
she's like a full apparition. It's not like a mist or anything like that. It's an actual person. So anyway, that happens and validates a little bit of what people have been saying. And then, you know, a lot of times you have to go into that private dining room for uh, supplies. We keep a lot of supplies in there and in a hidden door. And, you know, I was hearing noises of like voices of like a little small child. You know, that happened a few times. And uh, another instance was when I was sitting at the upstairs bar uh, in a particular chair. Um, I, I felt a very hard, firm tap on my shoulder. And I thought it was one of my coworkers or uh, somebody, you know, and I turned around and there was absolutely nobody there. It was a very firm tap. It wasn't just like my clothes pulling or something like that. It was just a nice three taps. So anyway, all this happens. And a few weeks later, it's a Sunday brunch. And uh, this little woman comes in, and uh, she's like, hi, how you doing? I just moved into the neighborhood, and I'm on a walk. And something about this house drew me in. I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit of the history of this place. So I run down my spiel. You know, we have like a company kind of written description of the history of the house and everything. And she starts to kind of um, ask if this place may have people that once resided, you know, here living still here, you know. And I'm like, well, you know, my personal experience, you know, and I didn't want to get into too many details because she's right about who she says she is being like a uh, an empath or somebody like that. Uh, you know, I want them to like find the facts. I don't want to lead them on. So I basically just like took her up to the private dining room nursery area. It used to be the nursery. And she's in there. I just leave her in there. And she's got one of those little pendulum crystal things, you know, and when I take her through the threshold, the little thing starts spinning crazy, like 90 miles an hour, and I'm watching her fingers to make sure it's not a parlor trick, you know, and she seems like a very, she's a registered nurse, she's an older lady. Anyway, the thing starts going 90 miles an hour, and then, you know, it's every hair on my arm stands up, and it gets super cold in there, so I leave her in there. I'm like, hey, I'll just leave you in here <laughs> for, for, you know, for however long, you just kind of do what you do, you know? So she's in there for a little over an hour, and she comes out, and she's filled up, like, you know, probably 20 to 30 little post-it notes, you know, uh, of stuff that she's she's found. One of the things that she did kind of validate for me is that there's two little girls that reside, that live in that room. One is four years old. That This was not her cause of death, but at some point in her life, she had fallen down those stairs. And the other is a 12-year-old girl that died of congenitive heart failure. I didn't tell her any details of this shit at all, man. Like, she's telling me stuff. And it's like, oh, my God. So weird. And then she starts to say, she tells me that there's five spirits that stay in this house. Uh, the two girls, uh, one being a gentleman, uh, he fought in World War One, died in World War One. And somehow made it back to the house. He was a family friend. He never lived there, but he was just a very close friend of the family's. And he hangs out in bar two. Bar two is the upstairs bar. So when she tells me this, I'm like, I might have been sitting in this guy's chair. And he's telling me, hey, man, that's my seat. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to put two and two together, like about the, you know, the time I was tapped on the shoulder up there. So she also tells me, you know, that everyone that's there wants to stay there if it's cool. You know, like all these, all these spirits are happy here. And unless they're bothering people, they don't really want to leave because this is where they feel most comfortable, except for one. The fourth she had mentioned was uh, Martha's personal maid, who did fall down those stairs and died at the foot of those stairs, apparently in 1958, is the date that this lady gave us. She had grew up there and worked there and was uh, uh, Maddie's personal maid and assistant, and she helped with, you know, all the functions, and she helped in the kitchen. 
But she was the only one that wanted to go across to what this little old lady referred to as the next plane. And then the fifth spirit that she said is there is Maddie's cousin, who does not like to be seen. She hangs out in a certain area of the house that we call Miriam Hall, which is where all the parties were. It's this great big room uh, full of all these windows that look out into all the oak trees. Uh, she likes to stay hidden. She doesn't like to be seen. She doesn't make her presence known. She's basically just an overseer of the estate. And if any of these other spirits want to cross over to our realm, like where we communicate, they want to be seen, they have to get permission from this particular spirit. So this lady was basically like she's the caretaker, and she just kind of stays you know, away. She doesn't, you know, she likes to see people happy. She just doesn't want to be seen. And you know, another thing that the medium psychic lady, you know, said that the little girls that live there love seeing people in there because they love the house and they like to like show it off, you know. So they like to, you know, they're they're very drawn to people, you know. So that's probably why most people that come through there that have worked there have had experience in that room because the two little ones are probably the most active. And then she went through and uh, did kind of an in-depth history of the house, all these little details, um, and put it together and brought it back to me. That's actually at the place. I don't have that on me right now. Um, Or else I give you a little information on that or we can do it at a later date. The property at 811 West Live Oak Street, although only 10 minutes from downtown Austin and a mere three blocks from South 1st Street, appears to have changed very little in the past 125 years. As you arrive at Maddie's at Green Pastures, you immediately enter an oasis of low-hanging, gnarled oak trees, many more than 300 years old, lining the driveway. As you make your way toward the huge two-story Texas farmhouse, you get the sense of being transported back in time. The farmhouse, with its wraparound porch and Victorian architecture, was built in 1895 and is surrounded by acres of lush grounds teeming with beautiful live oak trees, shrubbery, and brick-lined pathways. As you stroll through the grounds, you share the past with the iconic green pastures peacocks, guineas, and ducks that have been a part of the landscape since the Falk family moved here in 1916. Former owner Ken Cook reintroduced the fowl in 1965, Squirrels and possums are still part of the landscape as well, courtesy of Mother Nature, of course. The restaurant itself, made of its dark woods, 12-foot ceilings, grand staircase, hardwood floors, numerous fireplaces, period furniture, and family portraits hanging on the walls, transport you back to the early 1900s. Green Pastures, named by the former owner and restaurateur, Mary Falk Cook, has been welcoming Austinites and visitors to their elegant restaurant for over 70 years. The current owners, Greg Porter and Jeff Trigger, have meticulously preserved the grounds and the 125-year-old farmhouse in order to incorporate the history and spirit of the families who lived there previously. The name Maddie's at Green Pastures pays homage to one of the original owners, Martha, a.k.a. Maddie Falk. They wanted to restore the property to its original elegance, harking back to the year 1895, and maintain the sense of hospitality and inclusivity that has been a part of this wonderful eatery over the years. The welcoming ambience of green pastures survives despite decades of change in surrounding Austin, and in terms of historic eateries, there is absolutely nothing else like it in Austin. But when we arrived, it was 10 p.m. This place that's usually bustling with patrons and a beautiful sight to behold in the sunlight was now vacant, shrouded in shadow, 
and somewhat ominous. The Night Owl team tonight included Alexis, Franklin, my wife Tao, and me. Bar manager Dustin, who had contacted us about this location, greeted us in the parking lot. We stood on the sidewalk near the front entrance gate to the restaurant. A neon sign spelling out Maddie's, written in cursive font, was anchored to the small entrance gate. However, the neon light was now off. The only lights that were on were dozens of exterior lamps spotlighting the incredible historic farmhouse's wraparound porch. All the lights inside the house were off. As we pushed through the main front entrance, the beautiful soundtrack of cicadas, crickets, and wind rustling through the oaks completely disappeared. And what it was replaced with was now a hollow silence of an old vacant home. The kind of silence that amplifies every footstep taken and every word spoken. And this here is the front entrance to the, I guess, the main house. Main house, yeah. We were now standing in the foyer of the home. It felt spacious and open. And straight ahead was a grand staircase leading up and cutting to the right. From what I could tell, the foyer acted like a very wide hallway. To the right were large open doorways leading to a large dining room, where patrons today would dine if they came in to eat at Maddie's. And to our left, through another doorway, was a small bar. The home continued further back beyond the grand staircase. It also cut to the left and led to places that we could not yet see. But absorbing all that I could see in the dimly lit rooms, my eyes were most drawn to a large striking portrait of an older woman hanging high on the wall directly to our right. The woman's eyes in the painting followed you and appeared to be watching us in this moment. Dustin spoke up, seeing as my eyes were fixed on this painting. I believe that's Mary Falk. The the Cook Falk family was the third owners of this place. Dustin took us through the main dining area and into the small downstairs bar. Uh, This is the area that we call Bar One. It's mainly a, a service bar. That's a portrait of John Henry Falk, who was a radio host, activist, lawyer. He was big during the whole McCarthyism thing when everybody was being uh, uh, red-listed, I guess, in Hollywood for being a communist. He basically did a lot of pro bono work for not just those people, but for the people of low income here in Austin. So he's a very progressive family. There wasn't any activity to report in these areas, but nonetheless, I was mesmerized by the beauty of this place. The recent restorations that had been done to reopen the venue were absolutely breathtaking. I felt as if I was walking through the place as it once was in the past. A home that was used as a restaurant and social venue in the early 1900s. All I kept telling myself was, this place is special and I have to come have a drink and grab a bite here when this is all over. Of all the places we visited, this place felt the most like stepping back in time. And the beauty of this place, as opposed to a place like Pioneer Farms that acts more like a museum, is that this restaurant is functional, and you can actually eat food off a menu that includes items that were once on it in the past. But Dustin now wanted to move us into Marion Hall, a large reception hall named after the builder of this beautiful home. We took a left past the grand staircase, went down a short hallway, and through a large doorway into the event hall. This would be the first place Dustin would reveal to us as being a place where an active spirit seems to reside. Note that when Dustin points out spirits and energies, much of what he's relaying is directly pertaining to what the psychic who visited Maddie's reported to him. 
And Dustin had now remembered the psychic's name, Cindy. So on occasion, you'll hear him refer to her by that name. This is called Marion Hall. This was the original builder of uh, Green Pastures. Is one of the uh, spirits or energies. It was the uh, sister-in-law of a friend of the uh, Cook Falk family. They call her the caretaker because she's not really visible, but she just likes the property, does not want to be seen, and just hangs out here. According to the psychic medium that was here, none of the other energies can kind of make themselves known without her permission. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the girls feel like there's somebody watching them being here. In the restroom? In the women's restroom, which is right here. Uh, I mean, there's nobody in there right now. Feel free okay. to go in there. So this is the women's restroom connected to the Marion Hall. There's been reports that some of the employees just don't like using this restroom. You know, We have employee restrooms, but... Listen, they're not as nice as <laughs> not as nice as the ones we get out here. But uh, yeah, a, even though they still don't like this one, they no, put, yeah, no, okay, no, they don't I don't know. This new report about the women's restroom wasn't tied to anything that the psychic Cindy had reported to Dustin. So this is one of the first reports that's coming directly from staff experiences and not influenced by the visiting psychic. While in Marion Hall, our team member Alexis was having a lot of impressions. Like there's a lot of space that, that I'm not seeing. Oh yeah, like outside looks bigger than inside? No, like there's um, like a top of the stairs. You yeah. see those two look like windows? Yeah. There's like nothing behind them. And if you go downstairs, there's, it's filled. You know, like, like where is that? Where, where does that lead? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like... That's interesting to me. The one thing I'm getting in here is like a hidden room and then uh, something in the ba- like a basement. I keep getting a basement. Like maybe they just don't know it exists, but I keep getting like there's something under the ground. He kept feeling as if there were hidden spaces all throughout this house. And he felt strongly that there was a basement below us in this hall. Although Dustin admitted to us that there were no basements known to anyone on staff currently. But Dustin had a thought about the hidden spaces. The area, I think it was like, um, I can't remember, was Tri- maybe was it, was it Comanches that were in Austin? The Comanche were here, yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of older places, um, I know, like, because I used, I used to live in E.L. Steck's old uh, family estate up in, uh, off of 34th and Tom Green and Hyde Park. And we were constantly finding, like, crevices where they would, like, stash their silver. Or even their kids. The kids, right. You know what I mean? Like there was like false walls and like shit that would slide open. Before taking us through the rest of the house, Dustin wanted to take us outside, show us the property and several other buildings surrounding this main farmhouse. We're going to make our way outside and check out some of the surrounding properties. The first proprietor of the house was like a local minister. His name was E.H. Hurden. All right, we're circling around. If you're facing the house... Left side of the house, passing by Marion Hall, this the is exterior. All new construction right here. We poured all this slab for this back patio. Cool. Other than this building, other than, than, than uh, Green Pastures, the only other two large structures around here were St. Edwards University and the School for the uh, Deaf. So this has been around for a pretty long time. The first structure we made it to was a small wooden bungalow that was painted white. It appeared to be under construction because the interior was gutted out in areas and you could see some of the framework. We call this the White House. It's, uh, I don't really know. I mean, it was definitely built for plumbing. 
I want to assume that there was people that probably were staying here at one point. You know, maybe it was like bussers or waiters or part of the serving staff or something like that. Yeah, but it goes pretty back. It goes back in there. And yeah, that's the White House. That's the White House. Then there was a second small shack that Dustin took us to. Yeah, this little house over here, this is locked up right now, but this used to be a laundry house, and no one's really ever had anything too crazy to say about that. But, you know, just keep... That's the original as well. Yeah. That's where they did all the linens and stuff like that back in the day. Lastly, we had made it nearly all the way back around to the front of the farmhouse. We were just on the edge of the wraparound porch that was to the right of the front entrance. And there stood a really small stone shack. There's a date on the side scraped into a rock that tells you exactly when it was built. But this is basically serves as our wine cellar. This was put together by Bill Cook in 1955. This is this serves yeah. as our wine cellar. Yeah. Does it actually go underground? No. <laughs> no, no. When was the, the original home built? Do you remember the year of that? 1895. 1895. Yeah. Dustin now led us onto the porch on the right side of the farmhouse. There was a side entrance door that led to the back office rooms and a service stairway that goes upstairs. Immediately upon entering the farmhouse through this doorway, we could see there was a long hallway that, if you walked down and took a left, would put you back out into the main foyer, where we were earlier. But at this moment, we stood where we were, just inside the side entrance door, looking up a small, dark, narrow staircase, leading to an upstairs that we had not yet explored. Yeah. Nobody likes to go up and down these steps. This is one of the children fell down and uh, got really injured and then later on died of congenitive heart failure. Now this is all speculation, I guess. And uh, another maid, apparently, according to our psychic medium, fell down here and broke her neck. Nobody likes to go up here, guests or employees, because there's like a sense of vertigo. I mean, it's, it's very steep. So, so narrow and you steep, know. yeah. Um, oh, you, can, it's, you can tell, man. It's, it's pretty... Yeah, yeah. It's not that it's, it's, it's the sketchiest. It's steep, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the circus? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not comfortable to walk down that thing. You really you need to use the handrail. Yeah, for sure. What but does it say? Be kind to those. those On the kick plate of each step leading up, there were words painted. Alexis and I took a second to read the sentence that each of the words collectively formed together. It reads... Be kind to those you pass on the way up, as you may meet them on your way down. This apparently was a family motto that speaks to the culture the Falcon Cook family tried to cultivate with this space, opening their doors to all people without discrimination, even before the time of desegregation. This was basically their their kind of motto, you know, uh, that they kind of lived by. In 46, they opened up to all races and all belief systems. 18 years before segregation oh, cool. you know, in Austin, so it was a very, it was a place where everybody could kind of come and be amongst everybody. Okay, we're going to make our way up the main flight of stairs in the house. The narrow staircase did have an ominous vibe to it. Mostly what was running through my head as I made my way up these creaking steps into the darkness above was Dustin's story of seeing that adolescent girl standing at the top of the staircase, looking down at him. I shook off that image as we pressed on. The top of the stairs spits you out into a dark, narrow hallway. To the right, the hallway dead ends into a single private dining room that was once a nursery and a private family bar. To the left, the hallway opens up and connects to the first landing of the grand main staircase from the entrance. Then it splits into a smaller staircase that leads up into a slightly higher level second floor. 
The second floor was just as gorgeous as the first. If you're facing the front exterior of the house, the upstairs right is a bar that they call the 1888 Bar, a beautifully renovated space that emulates a bar from centuries ago. I absolutely love this space, and I wish it wasn't non-operating hours so I could belly up, order a whiskey, and soak in this magnificent space. But that wasn't the case. It was dark, vacant, and eerily quieter up here on the second floor. Alexis, Franklin, Tao, Dustin, and myself were passing through the spaces upstairs, and we congregated in the middle open lounge space. Dustin was going over more history when team member Alexis called out that he had something just touch his face. Really? Now there is a vent right there. No, this was like the vent's not. It on. felt like like vapor. It was like I was really just walking. I was looking at my phone, the pictures, and I went like that. And I was like, I like touched my face. It was like right around here somewhere. We couldn't trace down a source for this cold spot Alexis had felt, but Dustin admitted that there were a number of strange feelings and reports like this all throughout the house. But at this time, Dustin moved us back into the upstairs bar to give us a more detailed explanation of the experience he had had in that particular bar. We have so many employees, and when you want peace, when you want solitude, when you need to work on something, everybody will try to find their own little corner to hide in. And generally, I'm attracted to the bar because, you know, I've been in the bar business for almost 20 years. So this is my favorite part of the house, is this bar up here. So I like to go up there, I like to sit at the bar, you know, work on the computer, do orders, inventory. And was sitting in the uh, in, in that second seat, have felt like a very generous tap on my shoulder and uh, thought it was Scott, who's the vice president of operations here, because I knew he was here and uh, and I thought it was him. And I turned around to like, hey, what's up? And like, n- it was nothing, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't just like a tug on a like, 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 you know, like your fabric or something like that. Like it was definitely like fingers on, on the le- on my left shoulder. You know, it was almost kind of like what it felt like. It was like, hey, you're in my seat. You know, that type of thing, like what you would do at a bar, be like, hey, man, you know, I was sitting there. I mean, it's not like it was aggressive either. It was just like, there's my beer right there. You know, you know, it was kind of like it felt like that. You know, it didn't feel, you know, violent. Dustin now took us back to one of the more infamous spots in the house with reported activity. We moved back down the small hallway, past the small staircase where he'd seen the adolescent girl, and into the back hidden dining area. It's used mostly for private parties, and when not in use, staff use this beautiful room with windows and angled ceilings to rest and do other paperwork. Aside from the 88 bar, this room was the coziest and most alluring to me. I wish I had a home office that looked like this room, to be honest. But this private dining room was once a nursery, and is the space rumored to have the children's voices laughing, and most impressively, handprints forming on the windows and mirrors. I think the first thing that I was told was the whole handprint phenomenon, like, you know, these windows and these mirrors will be cleaned and then there'll be little children handprints. You know, I have, yes, seen handprints. We do not get very small children in here very often. And, you know, the one time I did see the handprint of a child, it was like up very high. This was the nursery originally. When it was a residence, there was a very small bar in here. This was kind of like the private bar for guests of the family, uh, people that were staying here. But this is where like the friends of the family would hang out in this room. There's just a lot of energy, I think, that was spent in here. And that's why 
most of everybody's experiences or what they feel or, you know, happen in this room, you know, because there was so much uh, activity in here. A lot of memories, you know, I think kind of stick to walls. Sitting at the large dining table in this space, I was faced looking directly out into the dark hallway. I could see now, just outside this doorway, is the top of that steep staircase, the exact spot the adolescent girl was spotted by Dustin. And in this moment, I wanted Dustin to recount the details of that impressive encounter. I think I told you the Game of Thrones story where I, 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 wa- yeah, well, I won't get into detail, but I watched the, 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 that stupid show up here the last season at night, and that was the first time I had an experience seeing the older adolescent girl right at the top of these stairs um, in like a flowy kind of nightgown thing. And uh, it wasn't like an uh, apparition. It wasn't like a, a mist or anything like that. It looked like a fully, looked like a person. You know, it stood there for a second and stared at me, and I we didn't I didn't say anything. Just and it just continued to walk where Alexis is. Alexis is probably you know that direction over there. The first experience I had, like I was saying, was with the she had to have been twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old at the top of these stairs right here, just kind of peering down at the stairs. That was the first experience that I had. I was downstairs coming out of the office. This door was open, and I looked up the stairs. And you saw this girl at the top of these stairs. Was she looking down? Yeah, totally looking down. Did she look at you, or was she kind of just staring off? No, it was like she was looking at me. And then, you know, when she moved, she went that way. There was actually, like, movement to her dress. She was, like, physical. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't just, like, a still apparition walking like a, like a painting or something. It was like, like it, she had movement, like she looked real, you know? So it, the next thing I, that I uh, experienced was in this room, uh, was actually during the day, there is a younger voice that comes from right there in that chair where Alexis is uh, sitting. That, you know, there's a little small voice that'll come from there, basically a greeting people, you know, hello, those type of things. And that one, you quick a quick clarification, you you get the feeling that it's younger that that voice coming is younger than the one. Yeah, that you it's saw. definitely a small child. It's definitely a small child. The octave is definitely that of a, a younger child. I, I I I've never heard an older female voice. I will say one thing that Cindy said that the two girls are not related, either by family or by dimensions. One of them's in a different realm than the other, so they don't communicate. Uh, I, I've never, never heard the adolescent voice at all. Matter of fact, the only voice that I've ever heard is the younger um, child. And you haven't seen that one? You've only heard no. that one? No, no, no. The young girls, it seems like they, they like the attention. You know, they like, they're apparently part of the original family, the first family that, well, at least one of them is originally from the first family that lived here. And they're very active. They like the house. They're very happy that that people are here. There's nothing malevolent here. And I think that's why it promotes such a positive atmosphere for people that come in here. Like everybody that comes in here feels at home. The guests, the employees, it's a very welcoming environment. This private dining room was also the room that Dustin had the visiting psychic, Cindy, come up and sit for two hours, uninterrupted. 
It was at this very table that I was sitting at that Cindy talked to all the spirits that she claimed inhabited this farmhouse, and eventually provided Dustin with the history and stories that quite honestly laid the foundation for this building's haunted lore. When Cindy came in, it was interesting because we were closing brunch on a Sunday, and it's just like everybody's just ready to get out of here. And she comes in talking about how, you know, the trees have spoken to her, and she was guided here by the oak trees. And uh, I appreciate that kind of talk, but in the same kind of like, I'm just like, oh, God, here we go, you know. But she's actually a really sweet lady. She's um, a registered nurse. She deals a lot with people nearing the end of their life, helps them cope with that, helps their families kind of prepare for that stuff. And I think that takes a special person to kind of do that. Uh, but she comes in and she tells me who she is and she's like, you know, I'm I'm very sensitive. Is there is there stuff here that can, you can tell me about? And I'm like, well, why don't I show you where uh, most of the activity seems to happen and you can just hang out in there. And this is, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 2.33 in the afternoon. And she's super stoked and, you know, whips out one of these like little crystals on a chain. And we walk up the stairs and we pass through the threshold right there. And she's holding it and I'm watching you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, she's a parlor trick in this shit. You know what I mean? And I'm watching, and she's like 80 years old, something, like 75, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, whatever. But uh, we walk through the threshold, and this pendulum thing just starts, like, going 90 miles an hour, and it just gets so cold in here. And, you know, I'm like, well, look, at, I'll just leave you to it. Hang out as long as you want. And, you know, see what you can come up with, you know. And uh, she was in here for like two hours. Like, everybody's like, is she ever going to leave? But it was like, oh, no, you know, like, let her stay up there. She's enjoying it. And I get a kick out of this stuff, too. You know, you guys can go home. I'll stay here. But she she sat up in here for like two hours and just filled out like page after page after page of like notes and history. And she had just moved to the neighborhood and knew absolutely nothing about the joint. So, uh it was really interesting to kind of, she came down with these notes to compile. She went home and did history, compared them to her notes, and just basically gave us, you know, a packet of stuff that uh, described what she had experienced here. And I have all that stuff here. At the end of our initial visit to Maddie's, hearing Dustin recount the paranormal experiences and history of the property, I was left with a lot of questions and honestly, some concerns as well. This was the first case I decided to pursue where we had very little eyewitness testimony. At this time, Dustin was the only person willing to come forward and share his experiences at Maddie's with us. When I explained to him how our show strives to get diverse, well-rounded stories by documenting as many voices with experiences as we can, he admitted to me that there weren't many others willing to talk. A lot of staff had moved on, and those still currently working either hadn't had any experiences or just simply weren't willing to share them with me. But there was another red flag for me on this case. This psychic, Cindy. She was someone who we don't know, who's already come through the building, and has laid out a very detailed, written account of every spirit that resides in this building and their history. With this, I couldn't help but think back to our case at Elysium. The difficulties I had going into that case, just because the building itself had a psychic owner and there were already strongly preconceived beliefs of who or what haunted that building. Bringing my friend and clairvoyant Sarah into a place with such a strongly predetermined spiritual history can really be challenging. I've personally been witness to Sarah's incredible gifts, but at a case like this, where a haunting has been explained by another psychic already, bringing Sarah in cold with no knowledge 
I can't help but be anxious about her gift, question what she will pick up, and wonder if any of it will either corroborate Cindy's testimony or completely contradict it. I had no control over what was going to unfold when we brought Sarah here, but I still had some time before our second investigation, so I was determined to get more testimony, even if I had to pester Dustin with texts and Facebook messages to the point of being extremely annoying. But it worked, because I got four new phone numbers from staff members at Maddie's, and to my surprise, Dustin was even able to find the contact information for Cindy, the psychic. So I had my homework now. After this short break, I'll track down those willing to share their personal experiences at Maddie's and hopefully shed more light on the hauntings of this historic home in Austin, Texas. Stay with us. Before you skip this announcement, I ask that you stop and listen to this one because these are unprecedented, uncertain times, and many of us have been affected in ways that we could never have imagined. Here in Austin, with the shelter-in-place order that we are under, a few friends of the show find themselves in dire need of some support. If you are in a position to help, listen closely to learn how you can provide these wonderful businesses and nonprofits that we've featured on our show some much-needed COVID-19 relief. Please check these establishments' websites. The following offerings and promotions are subject to change, as these are mostly only relevant during this time of social distancing and self-quarantine. First and foremost, our one and only sponsor who have been with us from the start, Oboy Print Shop, are one of the many local businesses that were hit hard by these times. But what amazes me about Oboy is how in a time where they need help, they step up and offer help to others. The Oboy team have designed a few shirts with proceeds going directly to the Stand with Austin Fund. Your purchase will not only help Oboy Print Shop during this difficult time, but it will also benefit an incredible local community foundation dedicated to improving the lives of Austinites affected by COVID-19. Go to oboyprintshop.com, click on their shop, and purchase a Stand with Austin shirt to support this cause. You can also support Oboy directly by purchasing any of their brand tees as well. Also, Buenos Aires Cafe has launched their all-day menu for takeout and delivery service and are giving great discounts. At checkout, you can use these two promo codes, CHIMI10, that's C-H-I-M-I-10, and that'll get you a 10% off discount on any online order. You can also use FRIENDS15, F-R-I-E-N-D-S-15, and that'll get you 15% off on orders $50 or more. You can also purchase bottles of wine, but that's only available on their delivery service option. Elysium has unfortunately been forced to close its doors and cancel all events through May 1st. They are currently in the planning stages of some fun online activities to help you have fun while still practicing social distancing. I encourage you to like and follow along on the Elysium Nightclub Facebook page and the Elysium Sunday 80s Night Facebook group. You can also support Elysium directly with PayPal at ElysiumAustin at AOL.com. At Pioneer Farms, it's not just historic buildings, resident spirits, and people that tell the tales of the 1800s farm life. It's the animals, too. Right now, the donkeys, horses, longhorns, and chickens are in desperate need of your help. A small but substantial donation of $10 can buy 60 pounds of hay, $15 can buy 50 pounds of food pellets, and $25 can help keep their animals fed for almost three whole days. To find out more information on the animals and donate, visit pioneerfarms.org slash animal feed donations. Bali and the incredible staff at Clay Pit are offering their full menu, wine options, and three different meal packages that can feed a family of four and come with naan as well as samosas, chutney, and rice. These will be available for pickup or through your favorite third-party app. 
be sure to go to claypit.com and check out these offers. Our amazing friends at Spider House, which is also our home base and shop, had to close its doors for the public for now. However, several of the on-site food trucks there are still offering to-go and delivery options. The food trucks operating there are Always Hungry, Arlo's, Kitchen for the Soul, and Milky Way Shakes. Be sure to check them out and support them during this time as well. Also, our friends at Royal Legion Tattoo have closed their doors through May 1st. If you would like to make an appointment for when they reopen, please send them a direct message via Instagram at Royal Legion Tattoo. If body art isn't your thing, perhaps some art for your walls is more your speed. Artists Ray, Natalie, David, and Heather all have works available for purchase on their individual IG accounts. So let's try to help them out during this time as well. Also, the City Alchemist storefront is temporarily closed, but Alexis and his partner Eric are still providing readings, products, and spiritual work through their site at cityalchemist.co. Lastly, if you'd like to help us, the Night Owl Podcast, keep this show going during this time, you can support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash the Night Owl Podcast. I'll be sure to post all this information in our newsletter, and on our homepage, thenightowlpodcast.com. I don't know how long this will continue, but I do know it will end. We are going to get through this together with a lot of love and solidarity. Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, I was determined to capture more diverse testimony to add validity to the claims that Maddie's at Green Pastures was indeed haunted. So far, we only had one voice detailing the paranormal happenings at this property. But I just can't hang my hat on a haunted case with one person testifying to all the haunted activity. Dustin mentioned other people having experiences and gave me a lot of detail recounting what Cindy, the visiting psychic, had picked up on her visit. For my own purposes, I needed to get some corroborating testimony to add some strength to this case. So I ended up texting all four of the staff members that Dustin had given me contact info for. He wasn't lying. It seemed that no one wanted to talk to me. But after about a week or two, one employee finally responded. His name was Chol, and he definitely had an experience to share. My name is Chol, and I used to manage the restaurant at Green Pastures. Beautiful old home. The original property used to span almost 22 acres, so it was a big chunk of the Bolden Creek neighborhood. The property itself currently, I think, is still around six and a half, seven acres. So it's a huge piece of property in some real prime real estate in Austin, Texas. This home, it's it's just a beautiful home. I've, I've got a lot of great memories, a lot of great stories, and just a lot of great experiences within the house. That being said, I did work many of nights closing down the restaurant in the house by myself late hours. You know, I didn't have too many occurrences at the house, but I did have two that uh, dramatically stand out. The first happened the first month I was working there, but it was about midnight, maybe a little bit after. I was locking up the restaurant. I was by myself. As I walk out, right out in the front of the property, there's this huge live oak, just absolutely gorgeous. And this is where the peafowl would, uh, would roost at night. As I make my way to the car, I see a girl in a white dress, kind of just like a summer dress, dirty blonde hair, straight, 
probably maybe 12, 14 years old, something like that. So it was a little shocking and pretty late for a young lady like you to be out. So I go out there and I'm at, you know, I ask her, hey, are you okay? Can I, can I help you with anything? And she's looking up in the tree and she responds, no, I'm fine. I'm just looking at the birds. My response was, okay. So I turn around, take 25 steps to my car, throw my bag in there, and then I just think to myself, you know, this is private property, and I just ask her to leave and see if, you know, where she lives and she's okay. So I turn around to talk to her, and she's gone. I look down the left driveway, which is probably 100 yards long, nobody. I look down the right side, which we call the South Lawn, pretty wide, flat, open space, nobody. I take a little walk and check out the back of the property, and I don't see anybody there. And so she's just totally gone, and I'm just freaked out. I thought I was talking to somebody. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. When she responded, she didn't make eye contact with me. She just kept on looking up at the at the birds. She was just looking up and didn't make eye contact, but she did answer me and say that, no, I'm just, I'm okay. I'm just looking at the birds. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I can't explain it. I, I don't know how to explain it, except for the fact that, you know, possibly talk to a ghost. The second one that stands out for sure, I was finishing up inventory in uh, what we used to call the 1888 bar. And that was at the top of the steps, probably one of the coolest little hidden gems in Austin. I'm doing inventory. It's been a long night, and it's probably 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I finally get done. And as I am finishing up, I shut off the lights. I'm walking out of the door, and I'm locking up the bar. All of a sudden, I hear bottles fall to the ground. So I open the door back up, I go in, and I see six bottles on the ground that have fallen off the bar ledge. And mind you, the bar ledge is pretty deep. So six bottles on the ground, none of them broken, and one of them was stacked. Like it was standing up. And so I put the bottles back up and I just told the ghost, I said, hey, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you in any way, but uh, I'm sorry, and I'm out. Throughout my tenure at Green Pastures, which was about nine years, you know, there were always stories of ghosts that kind of roamed all throughout the staff, and just even we would have special events there, and I remember this one event in particular, we had a bunch of tarot card readers and one of them, I guess, was had some spiritual sense, and her most powerful feeling would be from the stair area. And, and she's not the first one to state that. We've had multiple events there with tarot card readers, and they all said that they felt this energy right around the staircase and kind of in that room, which was the 1888 bar. So there was always something about the home. I don't know for sure if there had been any deaths or anything like that, but, you know, my experience with the home is that it's 
always been just a very happy place. I mean, even in my tenure there, I would say 90% of the events held were some kind of celebratory occasion, you know, birthdays, baby showers. That was one of the really cool things about the house. It functioned as an event space and a restaurant. Just a lot of great occasions at the home, always a happy place. You know, that was one of the most unique things about the home was that so many people in this town had gotten married in this house because it's been open since the 40s. I I met people that got married at the house in the 50s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, that would come back for their anniversary uh, in the same home that they had their wedding reception, wedding ceremony, you know, had their first baby shower, had their, you know, just so many great events. I always felt that it was just a very positive energy and a happy place. That being said, I've never really heard any stories about any type of malice or, you know, knives slide through the kitchen or stuff like that. But the house did make a lot of funny noises. It was an old, crickety house, but man, what a beautiful home, and it was built to last. I was truly impressed with Chol's account seeing that adolescent girl by the tree. That experience alone has so many layers to dissect and appreciate from an investigative perspective. Firstly, we had another employee seeing a full-bodied apparition that matches the physical description and age of the same apparition that Dustin saw. Dustin informed me that he had not told Chol about this experience with the girl at the top of the stairs and was really shocked when Chol's story came to the surface at the restaurant. It's incredible to think that there have been two full-bodied apparition sightings of such clarity and definition here at this restaurant. Secondly, in Chol's encounter, you also have an additional level of experience where Chol actually walked up to the girl, spoke to her, and she audibly responded. Now, you may be on the fence in saying, well, he just saw a real girl and that's why it was so clear and that's why she actually spoke to him. But that's where this third and final aspect of this fascinating encounter comes into play for me. A factor that I find very validating. So, Maddie's is private property. It's nearly seven acres of fenced-in land and the main house is quite a ways from this main entrance. You have to drive a good ways before you can even get to the main parking area in front of the farmhouse where this large oak tree stands and where the peacocks roost at night. To imagine a young girl in a white dress being out on this property alone after midnight is somewhat outrageous. She honestly would have had to have been a runaway. But even then, let's break that scenario down. Let's say that this adolescent was a runaway. One, why would she not hide from Chol upon seeing him exit the restaurant? And two, why is she standing looking into this massive oak tree at Peacock's at midnight? I can tell you with certainty because I went and I looked. There is absolutely no way for you to see those peacocks in that oak tree at night unless you actually know that they're there and you could sit there and focus and watch for movement. There's honestly no way that all these odd variables could amount to this young girl physically being there under that oak tree looking at the birds at midnight. It's all these little facts that made this experience had by Chol one of the most impressive to me, and it made me excited to pursue more answers on this case. And following this call, I had hoped to get more staff members' testimony, but none would return my text from this point on. However, I was very pleased to hear that Cindy, the psychic, was eager to hop on a call and share, from her perspective, 
All that unfolded that random day, the oak trees at Maddie's whispered her name and called her into this historic farmhouse. My name is Cindy Kerr. I'm a registered nurse and a healer. I work in holistic, intuitive medicine, and my business is called The Health Diviner. And I recently moved to Austin from San Diego, California in 2019. I was brought here by spirit. I'm very obedient. My life has always been one of listening and hearing the voice of spirit. And so when I was asked to move to Austin, my sister and my nephew had just moved here maybe six months, eight months prior. They felt prompted. And I thought I was going to move to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And spirit says, change your plans. You're going to Austin. And I said, okay, Austin. So I packed it up from San Diego and moved to Austin and ended up in South Austin. And in June of 2019, I had gone to meditation and was exploring my new city and ended up over in the Bolden area just for a fun, fun ride. Again, me and spirit. And I was asked to go down certain streets and get familiar and take in the architecture. And I got to a particular street and very strongly was told, turn left. And I, those are kind of fun Sunday drives, you know. And I made my left and immediately to the right, the oak tree started speaking to me. And I have a very, very deep connection with nature, actually all of creation. So it wasn't unusual for the trees to speak to me, but these were yelling at me beautifully. But they said, please come, please come. We want you to come. Please come. There are some things we want to share with you. And it it kind of took me by surprise. And I looked and I thought, oh, my goodness, what is this? Someone's amazing estate. It was exquisite. I had no idea what it was. And I did a loop around the block and came back and drove in the driveway completely unknowing what was ahead of me. And as I drove in the driveway, the oaks welcomed me. And then the house started speaking to me and said, you have to come inside because there are some things that we want to share with you. There's some information that you need. And as I got closer, I realized it was a restaurant. It was a beautiful, beautiful southern mansion that obviously was quite an amazing entertainment place and a place to be a century ago. And it had been turned into this beautiful restaurant. And so I went in, it was at the end of their lunchtime, brunch time, and there was a terrific young man, very friendly, and I just looked around and felt it, and, you know, he, I wanted to know if he could seat me for lunch, and it was Dustin, the manager, and I said, no, I just got called in here, and I didn't filter my language. I'm often very aware that people are not at the same level of awareness that I am of what's going on and and I usually filter things but I felt no need to filter with this young man and I said I got called here by spirit I'm a medical intuitive and I'm told that the house has something it wishes to share with me and he got the biggest smile gave me a little bit of a history and he said come this way and we went up a center staircase that looked like something from Gone with the Wind. And as we took a couple steps up the stairway, we were surrounded by the energy of resident spirits. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, can you feel that? We are surrounded by 
a compliment. And he laughed and he said, oh, good, I was hoping you'd feel that. And as we got to the top, it became very clear that there were many separate energies or entities there. And I looked to the right down a very, very steep stairwell and I said, oh, my gosh, someone fell down the stairwell and died at the base of it. And he said, yeah, it has the weirdest energy. Nobody likes to go up those back stairs. And then he said, I want you to come in this room. And we went into what had been the nursery back in the day. And I could feel two young female energies there. And he said, see the mirror on the left? There's the weirdest thing that happens when the mirror gets washed. Almost every employee has seen that there's little kid handprints at the base of that mirror. And I could see a little girl below that mirror reaching up and laughing as she was putting her hands up on the mirror, put her fingerprints on there. And I said, you know, there's a lot of energy here. And he gave me a tour around the rest of the house and gave me a little bit more information. I said, you know, if it's okay, I'd like to sit up here in the nursery by myself and I'd like to see if I could speak with these resident entities and see if they'll tell me a little bit of the history and why they called me and what I can do to help. He said, absolutely. So shut the door and and I got my pen and pencil and paper out and started asking questions of who was in there. And there were two little girls. The first one that spoke, she said she was the daughter of the owner. And when I get information, a lot of times I don't get names when spirits speak to me, but they are always diligent about telling me when they were born and when they died and what life was like for them and anything that's holding them in on this plane and if they like to go home, home is into the astral plane. And if they want to go home, I always ask them if I can escort them. And so far, they all always allowed me to do that if they wanted to go home. Not every spirit wants to go home. A lot of them have a reason to stay. It's comforting for them to be here. And they don't have to go. It's kind of the interim place to be. And some of them are here for, I don't know, millennia. Another story. But, you know, a lot of them stay for centuries and millennia in this in-between place. And that's okay. It's all part of their path. So I gathered the information on these two girls. One was four and one was, I believe, 12 and took notes from them of when they'd come, when they'd passed and if they wanted to stay. And the two little girls definitely wanted to stay. The 12-year-old had died in 1899. She said she contracted a viral fever and I like to do research. I want to confirm. I, you know, it's interesting to me that I guess the doubting Thomas in me sometimes pops up and says, let's just confirm this. So I'll skip ahead a little bit. And when I got home, I, I thought, well, the Fox didn't have a 12-year-old daughter that died. And she said she was the daughter of the owner. And I had no idea that the Falks were not the original owners of the house, but the Herndons were. It was a minister, Dr. Eugene Herndon. He originally had owned the home. And when I talked to the girl, after I'd gotten this information, I was able to, to speak to them. I asked the little girl, I said, I thought you told me that you were the daughter of the owner. And she said, I am the daughter of the owner. 
And I said, but I thought it was the Fox. And she said, no, it was the Herndon. She didn't ask me that. The, one of the customs at the time was to take in kids, and she said she was adopted by them. So I don't know if she would even be showing on, you know, on the family records, but she considered herself a daughter of the of the Herndon. So we had this very lively conversation, which was kind of neat. And I could see her. She's Caucasian, very gentle-spirited, sweet-hearted child. And she wanted to stay because she loves being part of that household. She loves the energy and all the parties that have come and happened at that house, all the people that have come. I can't, I can't even imagine how many different people in the day have rotated through that home since, you know, the late 19th century. The second little girl, who is the handprint girl, is four years old. And she told me that her parents were close friends of Mary Falk Cook. And she had been very frail since birth, was subject to blacking out and even fell down the, the narrow stairway that was on the right that I had seen that energy falling down while she was playing at one point. And I said, is that how you died? And she said, oh, no, no. She had died of a congenital heart disease and had an undiagnosed mitral valve prolapsed in January of 1944. And she loved the home. She loves the home. She loves to play in that room that was the designated nursery. And she also said she just has no desire to leave. That was that was her home. The most interesting one to me was in the upstairs bar, which is around the corner from the nursery area. There's a private dining room and its own private bar upstairs in Maddie's. And there was a male energy spirit that was there. It was a real heavy, heavy energy that was present in the room. And the staff had said to me that, they felt that they didn't like going in there. They just, it felt so depressing to go in that room. And he identified himself as a British Naval Intelligence officer who had died in France on the Western Front during World War I. He died at age 33 in 1917. And he said he was from West Sussex, England, married to a British woman who was a friend of the Falk family. And he had no other close family but this wife. And he sent her to America for safekeeping during World War One. And after he passed, his spirit went to Green Pastures seeking reunion with his wife, who was still a guest with the Falks in their new home during the war. And from what I understand, the Falks entertained so many different people. You know, they were active in politics and just lots and lots of international connections. And and this was one of the connections. I asked this man if he would like to leave Green Pastures and reunite with his wife in the astral realm. And he said, no, I find peace and consolation here. And I have no desire to leave at this time. There were two other spirits that lived downstairs. And the first one is a black woman. And she was a maid who had faithfully served the Falk family for decades. Now, and you start doing some research in the area, South Austin was a place where a lot of the freed slaves had taken up residence and was kind of the place where all the slaves ended up living, them and their families, after they'd been freed in the latter part of the 19th century. And so this woman and her family lived down the street from the Falks in South Austin, and she'd been... 
She worked for Maddie and Henry, and later she also worked with Mary Falk, and she was known for her kindness and her dedication. And she said that she'd been keeping the house and later the restaurant clean and tidy for a long time, and that she had taken a fall down that very, very steep and not very deep staircase that the wait staff uses to come up and down for serving the upper private room. And she was the one that I felt when Dustin and I first walked up the stairs and I looked to the right and I could feel and see her energy at the bottom of that stairwell. And she said she died in 1958 at age 57. And I wasn't able to find any records to confirm that. I don't know if it would have been confirmed if it was an accident. But she's the one that called me when I was driving by. Very interestingly, she said that she had been calling since the 1980s, sending out an SOS for someone to come help her get home every single day. And the trees were like her telephone, and she was broadcasting through the trees to anyone that would hear. And I happened to be driving by or guided by that day and called in by the trees, and I came to help her get home. The second downstairs spirit that was also a woman, very dynamic woman, she said she died of natural causes in the 1980s at age 79, and she had lived at Green Pastures for a brief time in the 1950s. When she passed, she didn't want to leave because she loved Green Pastures so much. She was the sister-in-law of a friend of the Cook family. And her hangout is Marion Hall. And when you go in that room, you can imagine people in beautiful ball gowns standing. And what an incredible reception room that is. Just a full of light and such a beautiful view out into the grounds. I could just see all the parties and the music. And this woman was very much involved in overseeing those events in her day. And she loved that. She just wanted to be constantly a part of that energy and so much enjoyed her, her time at Maddie's that she just didn't want to leave. She was actually the one that told me about the other souls that were there and Interestingly, they are not all in the same dimension, so they don't communicate with one another. They're kind of in their own isolated spaces of space and time. But somehow she was able to communicate with me, you know, where each person, where their hangout was and where her hangout was, and they were glad to have me. It was kind of a neat experience. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that I've ever been very religious. So I guess that being said, it just kind of being a green pasture has almost just reaffirmed that, you know, we do have spirits roaming around with us. And, and to be honest, I never really thought about it that much growing up or even as an adult until I worked at green pastures. And there's just so much history within that home and so many great things and so many people and shit if I was a ghost I'd want to hang out there I guess being there it, it has reaffirmed for me that that we're not alone and there are spirits and you know you gotta believe that there's some kind of energy out there besides just physical being and um, being a part of that and being in green pastures kind of experiencing that was 
was an amazing experience for me and it's something that I'll never forget. It's probably a story that I'll always tell friends and family and, and, and kids. Well, my experience at Maddie's was one of the best experiences with spirits I've ever had because it was very joyous. I was welcomed, not only by the spirits, but by the staff. It just made me feel so incredibly useful and purposeful with what I do in my life to be able to escort one person who'd been calling since in our time of and space since the 1980s for someone to come help her get home. And I thought, how awesome that I was blessed to be the one that heard that cry and came and assisted her. I, I don't think that anything feels better than that. And that was what Maddie's was all about for me. After talking with Cindy over the phone, it was much more validating to hear her recount her own experiences. And although we weren't swimming in a pool of endless experiences and testimony, we instead had a handful of pretty substantial experiences now. The two that still remain most impressive to me were Dustin and Chol's separate sightings of the adolescent girl. In Dustin's case, the clarity in which he saw her was notable, and with Chol, it's even more remarkable that he too saw an apparition with such certainty, but that the spirit interacted and actually spoke to him. It was now time to bring our clairvoyant friend Sarah to Maddie's, to see if the trees would actually call to her like they did to Cindy, and if the spirits she found within the walls of this historic farmhouse would match those jotted down in the pages of Cindy's journals from her first visit to Green Pastures. This investigative series was the last case our team was able to complete before the pandemic hit the U.S. We will finish this series at Maddie's in episode 29, releasing on May 25th. But we don't want our show to end there. We have a game plan to keep these scary stories coming. Following the conclusion of this series, we aim to continue the show with Campfire episodes, our curated collected personal ghost stories submitted by listeners. So seeing as I stay healthy, you listeners submit some good ghost stories to me, and finances don't put me in a dire situation, I will continue Campfire episodes on schedule to release on the last Monday of every month. During this time of isolation and quarantine, I'm striving to also produce some extra content to release to all my listeners, as well as new exclusive content to our Patreon supporters. I'll be hosting some live Q&As, Night Owl Netflix parties, video diaries, and more. If you aren't already, please consider becoming a Night Owl patron. It's the best way to support our show during this time, and since we can't host events, our finances have taken a hit. We could really use the help in a time like this, and we greatly appreciate the support. Also, follow our Instagram and Facebook pages because that's a place to get the most timely updates as well. Please note that we had many Night Owl events in store planned before the pandemic, and so many of you pre-purchased tickets for our Spirit Social and our April and May Pioneer Farms Ghost Tours. These events have all been postponed until we can reschedule them. For those of you who purchased tickets, we have emailed you info on either holding your tickets or how you can request refunds. You will also be receiving updates, keeping you informed as to when future dates are determined for these events. Thank you for your continued support, and stay healthy out there, Night Owls. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, and Tao, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. Jennifer for managing our merch, Patreon, and many other irrational tasks I throw her way. My dad Sam for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. 
My assistant editing team, which include Alex, Alexis, Bo, Jennifer, and Mikey. And thanks to Sean for his help with our story submissions, Alicia for her creative design work and marketing, and lastly, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And a very special shout out to my wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl Podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember... Your first master is completely free.